but the body is very good at adapting and finding a way to do certain things without hurting itself it, it's 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 interesting but um what what i really took from that is you want to make to make things sport specific sometimes you yeah, just have to get a plane of movement down so like the, he talked about um we had a guy jason glass was the uh the main guy delivering the the workshop and he sort of basically was doing a lot of band banded wood chops and different things and he said something that i thought was really interesting after he did all the banded wood chops to show stability and strength and how you could improve your rotation he's like the worst thing in the world i can do now is hand my athlete a golf club and sh- and say try swing a golf club better because you're not trying to teach him how to swing a golf club you're trying to teach him how to rotate Hello and welcome to episode number 34 of For Fit's Sake, the podcast brought to you by FFS Gyms. This week, myself and Rhodes are solo. Rhodes, just the two lads, back where it all began. Yeah, it seems weird not to say join by. Join by, yeah, <laughs> back to our humble beginnings. We're actually back in the office as well, because there's only the two of us, we're not out in the main gym space. Uh, this is all remarkably um, strange for us now. I, f- I feel like we kind of went big time there for a while with kind of going on the road to meet people and doing other things, and now we're just back to being two losers on microphones again. Yep. It's good to be brought back down to earth. Exactly, exactly. And we haven't kind of caught up that much recently, Rod. So it's good. Today's the first time I've seen you in, in about a week. Yeah. Uh, good to catch up. Obviously, you're doing your thing down um, down with the Irish lads. We're all kind of busy doing different things. So it's good to catch up and, and get get together again. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's great to be back. And uh, I was just saying about uh, our, our last podcast, I was cursing Ty there for that 10-minute uh, assault bike challenge. How many calories did you get? One six seven. Uh, I don't. I'm not even sure if that's is that respectable or not. I'm not sure, but uh, I gave it a good old lash. The biggest thing I found about it is just your legs gone. Yeah, that's the hardest thing. Is like the muscular fatigue in the legs. Like lungs wise, it was challenging, but it wasn't as challenging as say like a 2k where you get off and you're just your lungs are burning it's never going to be though is it because yeah. it's only like a 10 minutes like there's going to be an element of subconscious pacing that exactly. muscular fatigue is going to kick in um more like a lactate burn or just physically blood pooling legs about to pop from churning out the reps on the on the bike yeah lactate burn just like i think as well you got to put a little bit more force into the you know, we know that you got to put more force into the pedals when you're on the the bike as yeah. opposed to the row you spread it a little bit more across your whole bodies it was that real local muscle fatigue moral of the story is you gotta study more plus that's your own fault for coming yeah. up with a bad quiz so anyone who listens yeah. to the podcast Rudds generally finds a lot of the quiz content he put me under serious pressure with a very British Olympian themed sports quiz yeah. uh, so I'm, I'm glad you lost that one and uh, thanks Tyg uh, for making Rudds do his 10 minutes on the assault bike if anyone fancies beating Rudds as 167 167 calories do it we'll give you a free Under Armour FFS t-shirt I suppose if you can why not? We've never done a giveaway, but we might as well throw some stuff out there if anyone can beat it. Oh, funny, when I sent him a text, he goes, yeah, now she's tried a 30-minute one. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> thanks, Mike. Yeah, no, thanks, you weirdo. Uh, anyway, uh, that's kind of what we're talking about today is slightly different to that. That would be kind of conventional-type training. We're going to talk about some unconventional training methods. Why are we talking about this, Ruts? Um, I was th- a few reasons. One, I trained in uh, a few kind of more conventional gyms, like where people are doing their own programming um, over the Christmas period and then also just some reading I was doing over the Christmas period uh, in line with putting the program together here for the next, the latest trend cycle at FS. And one thing you would notice is 
is people are doing a lot of their movements in single plane in the gym. So, for instance, their squats, their bench press, um, and that would be probably what we class as more conventional training. But then if you think of it, the rotational aspect, you don't really walk into your commercial gym and see a lot of people doing a lot of rotational exercises, more kind of single plane stuff. Um, And then also with regards to the reading, uh, doing a lot of reading about injury prevention and helping people to move better and the idea of if you don't have the ability to rotate then as a result then when you are asked to do any sort of type of rotation like that you're going to be more predisposed to being injured but also if you think of how you transmit force if you're throwing a ball if you're hitting a golf shot things that you would have known from your tpi a lot of it if you're throwing a punch a lot of these uh, rugby if you're passing a ball a lot of it comes through your ability to generate power through rotation so if you can't physically rotate under load if you you aren't strong through a rotational aspect you're not doing it in your training one you could be leaving yourself open to some niggles but two uh you could be leaving a lot on the table in terms of any sort of athletic movement definitely and we're going to talk about throwing a punch in a minute because you're sporting a black eye and i want to save that story for the very end as our yeah. outro to it Um i also wish we had a camera on here to see how much you could, we were rotating while explaining all that people i'd love that but what you're saying there is it is traditional it is what what a lot of people do it's kind of the go-to stuff as well that yeah. you see um like for myself even over christmas when you're you're you just want to get in and do something in half an hour or 40 minutes. You kind of go to the the main things, those kind of like some multi-joint exercises that aren't single plane, but you feel like you're getting bang for your buck. And there is absolutely nothing whatsoever wrong with that. That is what the vast majority of even in our training, yeah. that is the bulk of what we do. Uh, things like our push, pull, squat, hinge, lunge patterns, that like they are the, the fundamentals and the compounds that we would we would train most of our clients to move in very well. But what you've kind of brought to the program now with the basically the new eight-week S&C program, um, is some of the, in some of the unconventional type things, we'll talk about them specifically in a minute, I found myself from doing them even for the last three, four weeks. Back pain is a big issue for me uh, since you broke my back on Fury Stag uh, last year. But my, my back is, is a big issue. And I found that I don't have not necessarily as much pain. I'm not going to say you've cured me, Rhodes, but I feel much stronger at the start of sessions. I don't feel like I need to warm up for as long or I need to stretch for longer. I do. We're doing a lot of Turkish get-ups and a lot yeah. of um, straight jacket get-ups off the floor and doing them slow with control, getting a lot of a lot of core tension, uh, opening up my hips in different ways without using my hands to move my body, just trying to basically find areas that I usually make compensations in, expose them in a very safe way um, is making me feel so much better when I go into my, my compound lifts. I've never lifted as consistently without pain as I have for the last th- three weeks. I know it's a very short period of time, but for the last year, I would have always every week had something niggle on my back and caused me a few issues. So I found from an injury prevention point of view, like you're talking about, it's had huge benefits. Yeah, I think one of the big things we've brought in is that Turkish getup. And uh, when I was reading, <clears throat> doing a lot of reading about it, and it's something I'd done before in the past, um, but then <clears throat> did a lot of reading about it over the Christmas and you're kind of going, this is such a great exercise because it's helping us with our shoulder mobility, shoulder stability, core stability, uh, hip mobility, hip stability, movement pattern training. You're getting different rotational elements to it. It's not single plane. This It ticks so many boxes yeah. in that one movement. So as a warm-up, it's a fantastic tool. So we're kind of really trying to focus in on that to help us warm up. Um, but even just 
at the end of sessions we're doing functional finishes where we're combining lots of crawling lots of carrying so dan john would talk about that in terms of building principles of programs he'd say obviously a push pull hinge squat your lunge your carry and your crawl so you wouldn't see too many people in a commercial gym doing lots of sets of different types of crawling activities mm. or even carrying if you saw like a lot of people traditionally carrying dumbbells i know a lot more gyms are starting to have astroturf tracks which yep. is awesome but if you looked maybe five years ago if you saw someone crawling around the gym and picking up <laughs> one weight in one hand for a suitcase carry and then walking between the machines you'd be thinking this guy is someone i want to avoid yeah um of course, he's probably picking up something but, you should be attracted to him. But the benefits of those types of exercises, we have them at the end of our sessions. Now, what we're doing in terms of our rationale there is we're thinking that crawling is a super safe way because you're really low to the floor. You have more points of contact. So you have your two feet and your two hands. So you've got four points of contact with the floor. So you've increased your stability. So it's a really safe way to... You can push quite a lot of fatigue in that and you can make it really challenging. But your risk of injury is very low with that. But also because it's um, because it's an element where you've got to use opposite hand, opposite leg the whole time to move. There's a huge amount of core stability. There's a huge amount of shoulder stability in that, and also there's proprioception. So like every time you're taking a step, your body's having to react to the hand coming off and stabilize. So that would be one element of it tying together all those small muscles in the shoulder, the core, helping you to be more injury proof. And then also the other element in terms of carrying, that carrying is a fantastic one because you just bang for buck. You're getting your grip strength, you're getting your upper back strength, you're getting core stability, and you're getting cardio as well in that one movement. And again, it's pretty safe. Once probably the most um, dangerous part of uh, or is picking it up. So maybe some advice to people who are listening who don't. Who, who maybe can't deadlift from the floor what I do with clients who can't deadlift from the floor is we just put the kettlebells or dumbbells up on the bench yeah. and then we start our set of carries from the bench so you don't have to bend down to pick it up they bring it back they place it back on the bench that could be a nice one for people who struggle with mobility to get down to the floor and I think the thing if people are listening to this going like what the hell are they talking about because obviously a lot of this you need some visual yeah. representations but like what, what I would see people doing with a lot of bear crawls is there are things that and we were guilty as well probably would have traditionally use them as cardio exercises because uh, a great way to get your heart rate yeah. super high being low to the floor um, you know you're, you're in that sort of almost quad position uh, contralateral movements opposite hand opposite foot you're not a chance to get a lot of oxygen heart rate's going to get very high but when you actually slow a lot of those movements down like your bear crawl your Turkish get up and you actually challenge yourself in those movements the your your heart rate does get very high but it's controlled to a point where it's all muscular it's all stability and you're going to get so much stronger from adding those movements in and i think the one of the places that we really found that um talking about unconventional types of training is with animal flow um, obviously we'd be pretty big advocates of animal flow um we obviously runs your level two aren't you done level two, you don't Cur- level two yet? currently trying currently to level two. get my level we've two. got a couple of level two coaches at the gym there's a good few that are level one we we generally have we'd have workshops workshops here every year um and it's something that i remember i went down to do it i always thought it was cool i saw you doing it um for a while with common who's got the studio out and striving um she you guys were working together and i was like Rudy, you gotta teach me something it looks really cool and it was so difficult i I looked at it going this is pretty cool stuff but it's so challenging that 
it as well as injury proofing you will make you such a better all-round athlete or even just going to the gym helps you get so much stronger animal flow has really been useful for that for us i think definitely and we spoke about it with rich when he came on about the podcast to the fact that the thing the reason i love animal flow so much not only is it enjoyable but it makes you do movements in multi-planes so the crab reach the scorpion reach the side kick through all these movements require you to move in multiple planes at one time so that's a huge thing in terms of helping ourselves to i talked about at the start about being able to be strong and able to root move through those rotational movements and you found it with your tpi so some of the exercises you were doing in your warm-ups and in your sessions to help someone to move through multiple planes in their training yes like with the golf stuff basically what what i found from doing obviously we worked with a lot of golfers over years and keen golf myself but having done the the titleist performance institute course with Cahill before christmas what we saw is um people's ability to rotate is is shocking with general population even guys who play golf they just find a way to get the club into a good position and to swing through yeah. without actually rotating properly which causes a huge risk for injury over longer periods of time and um, but the body is very good at adapting and finding a way to do certain things without hurting itself it's 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 interesting but um what what i really took from that is you want to make to make things sport specific sometimes you just have to get a plane of movement down so like he talked about um we had a guy jason glass was the uh the main guy delivering the the workshop and he sort of basically was doing a lot of band banded wood chops and different things and he said something that i thought was really interesting after he did all the banded wood chops to show stability and strength and how you could improve your rotation he's like the worst thing in the world i can do now is hand my athlete a golf club and and say try swing a golf club better because you're not trying to teach him how to swing a golf club you're trying to teach him how to rotate yeah and jesse guffey talked about it um the la dodgers coach you're not trying to He's not working to try help an athlete to throw a baseball harder and faster. He's just trying to make him better in the plane that will allow him to excel. So like our job as strength coaches isn't to make him a better golfer, a better tennis player, a better hurler. It's to actually enable him to rotate and then to add a specific skill on top of it. Um, and I think that's something you'd be amazed how many people can actually do the action. They can swing a hurl, they can swing a tennis racket, they can do all those things. But ask them to, ro- to rotate without that vice and they find it really, really tough. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you need to hit the nail on the head. It's that just give yourself the physical ability to do that movement. And then that not only helps to reduce risk of injury, but also gives you the potential to express that force. Like another part of unconventional training would be mixing up implements. So, for instance, would have seen a lot of people just doing a traditional squat or a traditional RDL, but something Craig, one of the coaches here at the gym, for the last number of years he's been obsessed with uh, landmines so using barbells where you're kind of putting them into at the bottom reckon our skirting boards for years by the way yeah but now we have proper landmines so it's okay if you can imagine getting a barbell and you put one side where you load the weights into a wall or a fitting on the floor and then you pick up the other end that comes at like a 45 degree angle and then you can do exercises with that but it's working on a hinge. The bar, the weight is hinging, so you're not taking the whole weight. Um, and with that, we've seen Craig's done it for years. But we like we'd see a huge ability to use those. So those would be unconventional. So for instance, you could take a f- conventional movement like a front squat, but then you could turn it into a landmine front squat. Where I found that it's actually been really beneficial for a lot of guys that I'd be coaching who've had history of back pain and they could never do a loaded squat but now with this landmine variation they're able to load a squat uh, and use a weight 
but it's just a little bit more back friendly because of the position of the bar. Um, also, landmine RDLs, so landmine single leg RDLs, landmine double leg RDLs. Again, they could be a nice back friendly variation to help someone to do a hinge pattern who's really struggled before. And the benefit of that compared to a kettlebell single leg RDL is just the fact that the bar is wedged into something that gives a little bit more stability so like I, I, I find and most people find one of the most challenging things about doing single leg hinge work is the fact that you've got to stabilize your whole body so by using that landmine attachment you're able to do the single leg hinge movement but you've got a little bit more stability so you can add some load yeah it, it can be fantastic regression so Rhodes I'm going to ask you to do is people are, who are listening who let's just i can think of a couple of guys that we train take the meathead for example yeah. who's like no love benching love overhead pressing love doing all that can't see the benefit to yeah. what these guys are talking about give me the the elevator pitch to why it can be really useful for these guys it's going to improve your health of your body and your ability to move through multiple planes in terms of improving bench press it's just going to help you to be more injury proof so we see it a lot a lot of injuries come from doing the same thing over and over and over again. So you get overuse, your body becomes chronically adapted to that shape. So you see it with weightlifters all the time where, and I see it with my own Olympic lifting training. When I get highly specific with my Olympic lifting training, I start to pick up more niggles because I'm doing the same plane of movement using the same muscles in exactly the same way. So this helps to plug the gaps. But also from that, I'd also challenge them to step outside their comfort zone a little bit, like you talked about when you were doing the animal flow. When you were doing, this looks fun, but then you start doing it, you're like, whoa, I'm not as strong as I thought I would. So some of these... Well, I never said that. (laughs) Some of these unconventional training methods can help to help us check our ego at the door a little bit and realize that we're back to being a beginner in something and we've got a huge opportunity to improve. That's it. There's not, there's a growth opportunity there, I think is the most exciting stuff with this. Um, you're talking about injury. Like, just to give again, because this is a big part of why we use slightly unconventional training methods is, you know, we want to keep our population that train with us as we, can, we can't completely injury-proof them, but we can do everything we can from a, a programming and a conditioning point of view to make sure their bodies are conditioned to to be a bit more resilient in the face of injuries. So what are the most common injuries that we see and why do we use these types of training to help prevent them? I think lower back pain is probably one of the most common ones and you'd look across research and that's something that is... You look at most journals. America's got back pain. Have you seen those commercials? (laughs) No. Yeah, they're good. You're going to see a lot of papers published on lower back pain. Um, So that'd be a big one that we'd see. Shoulder pain would be another one. So people having shoulder impingements. So in terms of those two things would probably be the two biggest uh, injury sources I'd see working with people. And in terms of crawling, for example, or using the landmine, they're both things that can help to improve someone's back pain. The crawling, because you take away some of the uh, loading on the body and you bring them down closer to the floor, you add more points of contact, more points of stability. Uh, The landmine, you take away some of the full loading on the body and you add it on a hinge point. Mm -hmm. Again, that can help with back pain. Then in terms of shoulder, one of the big things with shoulders is when we do our bench press, our dumbbell press, um, <clears throat> our push-ups, our chins, all these exercises, what they do is they develop the big prime moving muscles, the muscles that help to produce a lot of force. But they don't necessarily build some of the stabilizing muscles, small stabilizing muscles like your rotator cuff. What happens then is you get muscles that are really strong, 
but they have no stabilizers. My best example of that is putting loads of horsepower in your car. So you have to put an extra bit of horsepower in the car, but you don't upgrade the brakes. So what happens is, at some stage, the car is going to have an accident. And that's what happens. If you just keep getting stronger, but you don't strengthen the small stabilizing muscles around those joints, at some stage, you're going to get an impingement or you're going to get pain. So with the example of the shoulder, crawling can be fantastic for shoulder rehab because you're adding shoulder stability to your programming in a really safe way. But then also the landmine variations. Um... A landmine shoulder press is a fantastic way for someone who's got shoulder impingement, who struggles to do a traditional vertical press because it's straight up and we close down the joint the joint in the shoulder yep. and we get that pinch. The landmine's more of a 45 degree push. So then what we find is a lot of people who have shoulder pain, they can't vertical press so that we're not getting any of that pressing movement overhead in their programming. But when we go landmine and it's a 45 degree angle, they're able to press pain free. So at least we're bridging the gap a little bit while we help to strengthen and stretch them, their muscles in their shoulder to, that they're not totally away from that movement pattern. And the thing about this is we're trying to get clever with working around because we've had a lot of people who've had either come and they come to us for rehab, uh, like examples like hip operations, knee operations, shoulder reconstructions, and they'd be... A, it'd be recommended that they work with a coach to get stronger yeah. to help them. We also have a lot of people who ultimately get injured throughout training, whether it's through sport. We've uh, People have gotten injured in the gym over the years, but people pick up niggles. Yeah. Um, and the biggest thing that we found is not saying I'm injured, I can't train. Like yeah. it, it's all about the mindset of there is something that you can do. Um, and like these types of training that we're talking about, like, Basically, say, for example, I couldn't press overhead, but like using bands to press overhead and being able to press through the same range just to keep me in that habit of training has been so important for us with a lot of clients that we've trained because people get injured. Things happen. People put their backs out, you know, taking car seats out of the car, picking up shopping, whatever it might be. People get niggles. So what do you think? Obviously, from a program point of view, we work very hard on providing safe things for people to keep keep their training tipping over when they're they are processing injury as well as rehabbing them what do you think the most important thing is for those people who pick up injuries psychologically i think the big thing is trying to reframe it as an opportunity to get better so you go okay i'm injured now i can't do the bench press that i love to do but this is an opportunity to build up my pulling strength to help me to become stronger and be more well-rounded or this is an opportunity to work on my lower body because I tend to skip leg day. (laughs) Trying to reframe it and see it as an opportunity. Another big thing would be trying to see it as feedback. This is my body's way of telling me that I have a weakness here. I have uh, compensation and then going and getting a bit of advice from someone who really knows what they're doing and they can tell you why. So like we see it all the time where someone's got a niggle and we'll just say, Eric, the physio here, go see Eric because he'll be able to tell you why. I think that's huge because if you can find out why you're getting that injury, so for example, people come to you with the golf screening and you can tell them, yeah, a big part of the reason why you're having back pain or you're not able to drive the ball as far as you think is because you can't rotate and you're showing them how they don't have the ability to rotate. Then they know straight away that they can go away and that's an opportunity to fix something that's going to make them stronger and more robust that's such a good way of talking about your body giving you feedback because for me with picking up i've injured my back a couple times over the years and this time when i injured my back it was one of the sort like i've done it through playing rugby and and one of the guys one of the younger guys in gym was asking me recently he's like have you got a bad back and i was just about to say no i don't but 
I thought in my head I've actually really hurt my back three times in the last year. Yeah. Uh, you know, I've, I've had like had to take two days off work once because it was that bad. So I was kind of, but just about to say, no, I don't have a bad back. And then I was like, actually, yes, I do have a bit of a back problem. And when I accept that and I go, I have been reaching my back, why? I can look at it then, I hate the word, but look at it holistically. I can see what all my training is like. I can look and say, do I get enough sleep? Am I, you know, am I doing things that are going to cause my back to to basically give up on me at certain times of the year, certain tr- times of my training cycles. If I'm golfing a lot, if it's coming into the summer, or if I'm if I'm running a lot, training for a marathon or whatever it is, like why is my back giving up on me? And then I can assess, okay, it's because of my training load. And then I can look at my training specifically and say, well, actually, I've done a lot of back squatting in the last eight weeks. Then I can look at, you know, my ankle mobility or my hip mobility. I can try and figure out why. And that, this time with my back, the kind of rehab and stuff I've done over Christmas, it's the only time I've been excited about the opportunity that's presented itself by seeing an injury. And if I feel like my back is starting to niggle up a little bit again, I know straight away I can quickly scan over the last four or five days. Have I no mobility? Have I stretched? No, I haven't. Okay, that's what I need to do. And it allows me to sort of put preventative measures in place. And I don't get as frustrated with, you know, if I go in to do a session and it involves squats or whatever, I don't get as frustrated if I have to do a few alternates and take it a bit easier, whatever it might be. Not looking for the easy option in the session, but being smart and knowing what my body can do. And that's actually allowed me to be more consistent with my training. Because in the past, I would have said, my back's at me, I'm not going to train. Because I never looked at, why is my back at me? What can I do that will allow me to train? Surely there's something I can do. I've just been like, no, back's at me, I won't train for three weeks. My back gets worse because my legs aren't as strong. So when you do get injured, trying to look at it and say, it's very easy for us to sit here and say this while we're we're pretty healthy. But like when you do get injured, trying to figure out why this has happened, what can I do to prevent it? And if it does happen again, you know, looking into the really small detail and not getting overly frustrated with it because, like we said, everybody's going to pick up injuries. Definitely. I think as well, like we'd see it all the time, we're chatting to people and we're asking them um, about, say, look, will you go see Eric, the physio? And one of the biggest things is people would say, oh, I don't know if I'm willing to pay for an hour, you know. But if the investment of going and seeing an expert to tell you why you're getting that pain is one of the most valuable uh, investments you can make in your body that you can do because then you get that awareness and you're able to tweak your training a little bit, work around it, find the gaps you need to fill in your programming, find the gaps you need to fill in your body um, and then you can take a really proactive approach and be stronger than ever. I think that's kind of sums that up pretty nicely. What would you give us as the takeaway before we get on to talk more about that black eye? What would you give us the your what are your favorite things after reading your books over Christmas? Your absolute bang for buck for people. We'll put a few links in the show notes. You might put up a couple of videos of you doing some of the exercises. If you were to say to people now, right, I want you to try these different types of training to help uh, injury proof your body, to help you move better in different planes, and to help you kind of identify your weaknesses. What would you give someone whether it was a superset, a finisher, a warm up? What would you tell them? Is really key to go away and work on straight away add in crawling to your program and floor based exercises add in rotational training to your uh, programming add in some sort of carry some sort of weighted carry um, and then also uh, try different uh, variations of current lifts you're doing using um, landmines using different like changing from a back squat to a front squat in general, those can be really uh, positive things to help you, but also as well, they can help to freshen up your training. Like you said about being excited about your training, sometimes when you change the way you're training, you can get excited about it. I see you've got training. It's now three 
50 I see you've yeah. got training already for 4 are you going to be doing some of those movements we could snap a video and lap you up I certainly am right so we'll get a video of that and we'll put it up um, before we do Rudds the black eye uh, my myself and my darling wife were in Dundrum uh, this is your you could have lied you could have made up anything you could have like this is your chance yeah I could have but uh, be like, honest okay I, come I, on. I, I, I think honesty is the best policy I'm going to found out otherwise <laughs> uh, and basically we went up, we did our usual thing of forgetting the ticket, so uh, we were ticketless, and we said, uh, pulled up, we said, we paid, uh, he asked what the registration was, um, Sarah told him the registration, wasn't 100% sure, said, go out and check there, so I got out to check in front of all the people in North Face and TK Maxx, on a busy I was outside. <laughs> Saturday night, loads of people, so I bent down to have a look at the license plate, and the barrier flipped up like really fast <laughs> as I was bent over and cracked me in the eye uh, like a big noise off it it hurt like hell when it happened and then like the reaction I was probably going to whimper uh, but then as it happened I could hear like obviously the noise and then everyone turned around and you could hear the people behind you going ooh and like laughing oh. <laughs> and like going oh is he okay and then I just the pride kicked in so I did the sideshow bob and just kind of went ooh Sucked it up and got in the car and I said to Sarah, just drive back, just drive. Get me out of here. So two stitches later and a lovely black eye and I've told that story about a hundred times this week. So yeah, just, but I was... Moral of the story is, Rods, if you did more kind of uh, reactive training yeah. where, you know, you've got like in a bent over position and things are flying out your face, you'd probably be able to get away with it, you know? We were talking about injuries being feedback. I got some feedback, I stuff that... Uh, I had to explain that story to someone and they said, well, why did you check the front of the car? You that, should have checked the back of the car. Yeah. So now, now, uh, now I know that if you're ever stuck at a barrier, never get out and chuck the front of your car just in case, check the back license. On that bombshell, ladies and gentlemen, goodbye. <laughs>